The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Skrobnia. Well, if you have a bulletin, and inside your bulletin, if you could pull out the insert there and have that handy, especially the map. So we have the privilege, actually I have the privilege today, to share with our body, our church family, just a wonderful and unique opportunity that God uh, provided for me uh, to go to, as you see there, Kiev, Ukraine, which on your little map there is the yellow country, just below the big purple one, which is Russia. And uh, I'm going to take this off now because in Russia, protocol is you're not supposed to wear a hat inside. So what we're going to do today, just something different, um, see how it goes. Actually, most of what I'm going to share today are my exciting slides. Don't you go walk, love walk, going to somebody's house and just watching like 200 slides from something they thought was really cool? That's what we're going to do today. So, uh, But I, I just trust that you're going to be blessed from it. Um, and again, it's... It's a great follow-up on Evers talking about missions and the mandate for the church on missions and also paving the way of more follow-up in just a couple of weeks. So, as I said, I have the, the wonderful, unique privilege to go to the Ukraine. Um, and I wanted to say a couple of thank yous first. Thank you to GBF, uh, my local church, that allowed me to do that. Uh, and I really appreciate your support. Before I left, I, I don't know if there's a light. Yeah, there's one right there that kind of shines on me for a second while I'm talking if we can figure out which one that is. That's good enough. That's great. Um, but there were several of you in, in anticipation of the trip that I was taking to go 1,500 miles away on the other side of the world for 14 days. You told me you were praying for me. Got a lot of white notes, emails. I really, really, really appreciated all of those and took those very seriously. Um, and I'm not a world traveler by any stretch of the imagination. Two foreign countries, I think I mentioned to you that I've been to Texas and then uh, across the border <laughs> in Mexico. That's about it. So this was a, a very unique opportunity and challenge for me. And so uh, the entire 14 days, I was consciously aware that, wow, God's prayers are being answered. And so, and I even sensed that before I left because uh, I'm about to do something I've never done before. And it's like I wasn't panicked. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. It was like, I guess I'm leaving tomorrow and uh and I didn't even really know what I was going to do, be doing in terms of a lot of details. There were just so many unanswered questions. So even just that supernatural piece that God provided for me beforehand, uh, and then all the way from uh, my plane flight flying out of San Jose, then to uh, Minneapolis, and then into Amsterdam, and then into Kiev. And uh, it was as easy as could be. I was surprised at how uh, seamless it went, and the planes were on time and even early, and I uh, had a great wrote to myself going to Amsterdam and thanking the saints. Thank you, God, for answering prayer and uh, made it there safely. And then same thing coming back. There wasn't a glitch at all in terms of luggage and travel and timing. And uh, I was able to use my time well on the airplane. Even the people that God placed next to me on the airplane was providential. Um, one of them was uh, a young man who was in the military. We had a great time talking together. Uh, he's from Oakland and he had just come back from serving in Iraq for about six months, so it was good to hear his story. Uh, and then the other long uh, flight was next to a, a charismatic pastor 
who was the head of a vineyard church. And I, early days as a Christian, I went to the vineyard. So we had some really good conversation, great guy. And we've actually been interacting through email since I got back. So uh, blessing each other with resources that we have. Um, so that was a wonderful time as well. So just answered prayer there. And then when I got there, answered prayer all over the place in terms of what I was going to be doing there. I was supposed to be teaching apologetics to uh, Ukrainian men who are preparing for ministry or already in ministry. And I was supposed to teach them apologetics, and it was part of their MDiv, Masters of Divinity curriculum. And I'm teaching a, a quarter-long, uh, 11-week course in just eight days, and I didn't know how that was going to work. And they, they speak Russian, and I speak English, and how's that going to work? And we got a translator, and how's the translator going to know all the technical terms in, in apologetics like metaphysics and epistemology and ontology and a priori and posteriori and all that stuff? And that was a concern. Uh, but God answered all that prayer. Uh, it was amazing. And then the food, I was concerned about that, getting sick and the water and all that stuff. And they had normal, okay food there, so that was great. And some of it was really good. And they had me eat a lot, so I didn't lose weight. I got fat. Um, and I could just go on and on. Um, so answered prayer. Another answered prayer was I wasn't concerned about or worried about GBF at all the entire time I was gone. Uh, not that I forgot about all of you, but it was like, this, this church belongs to God. He loves it more than I do. He cares for it more than I do. This church is in good hands. The Savior of the universe. And then on a human level, all of our wonderful, awesome saints. Uh, and I was just convinced that GBF wasn't going to miss a beat. And from what I understand, that's true. So just thank God for that. So thank you to everybody who prayed very specifically for me. God answered your prayer in amazing and wonderful ways. Really, really appreciate it. Also, a thanks to my brother, Sam, uh, our elder, who preached while I was gone and did a wonderful sermon uh, out of Matthew, and I was able to listen to that when I got back. And many people, Sam, our saints, said they were blessed by the Word. So thank you so much for ministering to God's saints with the Word of God. And then the next week, when I just got back and was in no condition to preach or study, one of our deacons, Evers, preached for me, so thank you, Evers, as well. And I got to hear that sermon, and I was incredibly blessed and highly motivated uh, regarding biblical missions from that. So thanks, Evers, for bringing the word on that. And many, in the same thing, many of our saints uh, communicated to me that they were blessed as well and encouraged in the word. So uh, thank God for raising up other teachers uh, here at our church. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, I'll, but I, I, I guess I'll just start with when you go somewhere foreign or different, the thing that always hits you the first are these first impressions. I think that's always the most significant. And then if you let too much time go by, you forget about those first impressions. You either forget about them or you get used to them. And I've, I found by day 13 or 14, I was getting used to them. This isn't so weird after all. Or I could get used to this. Well, I could live here in this cool dorm room that they had me in, meeting all of my needs, spending all the time to myself and studying. Wow, that's like heaven for me, just studying all the time and reading and no phone calls and emails and distractions. So, uh, but anyways, here's because several of you asked me when I got back. So, what was the thing that hit you the most, or what you know your first impressions? So, here are first impressions. First impressions about Kiev is the city first, and then also first impressions about Christianity there and the church. Uh, first impressions about Kiev uh, that hit me was it, it is a huge city, lots of people, and very uh, congested and impacted. Uh, you know, four million people in the city, and they are everywhere and. Uh, it doesn't matter what time of the day is. People are out walking and milling, uh, sprawling along the streets all the time. It's like, where are all these people going? But they're always, there's people always walking somewhere. 
A lot of that has to do with very few people own cars and drive cars. So a lot of the transportation is on foot or uh, bus and train and that kind of a thing. So that was the first thing. It's just like I feel claustrophobic here in this big city of Kiev because of all the people. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me was how just old the city was, dirty, falling apart, um, the potholes everywhere you go and all the streets and the sidewalks. It was just kind of an ugly, dirty city. I've seen pictures afterwards on the Internet and they're all pretty and it's like, that is not Kiev. They they doctored those pictures. And it does not look like it. It's just one dirt. And that was, and we drove for many, 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 many miles in t- around the entire city and it kind of is all blasé. It's a tired city. It is old and I asked one of the, the brothers there, what's in it, these, and it's just riddled with all these uh, huge eight, nine, twelve uh, story apartment buildings that are just old and falling apart and yucky, but that's where everybody lives. And uh, nobody has dryers, and most people don't have washing machines, so all these apartment buildings that are old and ugly have dirty laundry on all the balconies as you're going by, that's how they do their laundry. And I said, what's up with all these old buildings, and the city's just old, and he said that, well, for the most part, this is... All these buildings were built right after World War II, and many of them haven't been renewed or replenished since then. That's just where the people live. Uh, so that stood out to me tremendously. Um, so that's the city itself. And, and also just kind of was there was this dreary spirit just as you walked all over Kiev in terms of the people and a lot of cigarette smoking, more than normal, which I thought was interesting. It just smelled like one big cigarette everywhere you went, inside and out and all the restaurants and out on the street and what everybody does and there is a high they said there's a very high rate of alcoholism in city especially among the men so that was so that was kind of depressing in stark contrast was the church um, at least that I was exposed to in Kiev primarily and the the churches that I was exposed to were small uh, Bible churches because prior to 1991 Christianity and the Bible was against the law for like 70 years so if there was a Christian in a true church, it was being persecuted or it was in hiding. Um, and so since 1991, there was freedom of religion. And so a lot of religions actually came into Ukraine, the former Soviet Union. And, but that included a, a biblical people who wanted to plant churches. And so you do have uh, a few small Bible churches in Ukraine and within the city of Kiev. And so I was able to interact with a couple of those little churches Although their formal uh, state religion is the Eastern Orthodox Church, specifically the the Russian Orthodox Church, and they have buildings like on every other block, and they're these little, and they got these beautiful basilica-looking things, and they're all shiny. And the, I mean, the buildings are ornate and they look beautiful, but apparently on the inside they're as dead as a doornail because nobody goes to them. They don't teach the Bible there. They are simply houses of ritual where you go on a Sunday if you have time and get out of bed to go by, and they literally. Because we saw it. They stand in line in the front door. You go through and you get your ritual, whatever it is. Uh, some incantation, some uh, blessing from an icon or a statue, and then you leave. And then the next person goes. And so you don't have, go in to have fellowship with the saints. You don't go in to pray with the saints. You don't go in to have Bible teaching and instruction. You don't go in to minister to anybody. You just go in to the priest. You get your canned little spiel of a ritual, and then you leave. And then that's your religion for the day and for the week. And that covers you hopefully till next week or the next time you go. That is everywhere. That is the main religion. Although 60% of the people in Ukraine say that they don't have a religion. So many are still atheistic, agnostic. And if they do believe in God, they don't formally express it in any kind of affiliation with a church or a religion whatsoever. So uh, it was an atheist, formally an atheist uh, union under the Soviet Union for 70 years. And there's a lot of carryover from that even to this day. 
Uh, so my time was spent uh, in just little venues with Bible-believing Christians. And first impressions from the Christians that I met, the churches were simple, small. The Christians were content. Boy, that stood out. They didn't have a lot. They were content. They were happy. A lot of kids I was able to interact with. Happy kids. Uh, they put a premium on relationships, not programs. That stood out to me. The emphasis of a church and what makes a church a church in the Ukraine. They put a premium on the Word of God. They want to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I was able to preach. Well, I, I taught for hours and, and hours for eight days in the apologetics class. And then I preached in the chapel that they have there at school a couple of times. And then I preached in Bible study. Then I preached at uh, the church service on Sunday in their local church. And they just wanted to hear more. Keep preaching. Go another half hour. They're not worried about time. Uh, maybe it's because they don't have anything to do. Because part of that is true. Because we literally, on the Sunday worship service, uh, I preached. And I didn't know what to preach on. I've been thinking and praying because I figured I'd have to preach at the little church. Oh, by the way, the church. Let me keep going real quick, just first impressions. They were content. They were precious. Uh, another thing that hit me was within five to ten minutes of talking to another Christian, even though we had different languages and a different culture and separated by miles and a different background, within five to ten minutes, there was this deep intimacy that we shared in Jesus Christ. It was amazing. And I sense we are true brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ because of our common safety. Christianity is true. This is a validation of the Bible. Praise God. This is awesome. The fellowship of the saints that I was able to share with these people in such a short period of time through a translator was absolutely amazing. That these people loved God. They had a Bible. They believed every word of it. That was another thing that stood out to me about Christianity in the Ukraine is especially the men that I was teaching. There were 11 men and they were all, for the most part, my age or older than me and they're studying the Word of God. Half of them were pastors. Half of them were studying to be pastors. The only Bible they have is in Russian. It was uh, made in 1871. It's kind of like their King James Version. Even though you, they are from Ukraine, their main language is Russian because during the reign of the Soviet Union for 70 years, Russian, as dictated by Moscow, was the mandated uh, language of all peoples, all 15 countries that made up the Soviet Union. So... Uh, Russian is one of the dominant languages, so their Bible is in Russian. And as I'm teaching in the apologetics class, uh, these guys, they just take the Bible literally at face value. They believe everything in the Bible. They don't question it. They don't have these critical scholar theories that we have here in America and in England that have come down through the years. So when I'm reading Genesis 1, man, they take it at face value and they believe Adam was a real guy and the days were really uh, real days and that the earth is only 6,000 years old and I could go on and on and Revelation is really going to happen the way it was in Revelation. And then when I would share, I'd have to stop at times in shock. You mean everybody here believes that Adam was a real guy? And they're like, yeah, why wouldn't we? It's in the Bible. I mean, they'd say that through the translator. Why would you say that, Bible teacher? You skeptic, you cynic, you critic, what is wrong with you? And I'm getting rebuked. And it's like, whoa, no, this is a good thing. I'm refreshed. I'm glad. And that just happened time and time again. Uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, the commitment to Scripture, it's all true. It is all literal. They just, they loved it. Anytime I would give by way of an illustration in an academic setting of the scholarly opinion over in America that undermines the Bible, they were aghast and in shock. Wow, we thought America was perfect. You guys are horrible. We want to stay in Ukraine. So that, that was huge. 
But of Ham, what a breath of fresh air. I don't have to argue with the fellow Christian about why they should believe the Bible at face value. Uh, and they're just, yeah, they were baffled by these theories that I was, he, they thought I was making it up. I'm like, no, I'm not making this up. So that was, uh, that stood out tremendously. Um, oh, the other thing that, that you always stand when it's time to pray, it, where I was in Ukraine, uh, with the Christians. So, which sometimes it startled me because every time we started class in the morning for the seminary, um, I always started in prayer, which I always do at the Cornerstone Seminary up in Vallejo. And I say, okay, let's pray. Come in our time of the Lord. And everybody's sitting down and I pray. And then, But I do that there. And I say, okay, let's pray. And then everybody stands up and I'm like, whoa. And they do that everywhere in the Bible study, at church. If you say pray, they are standing up. And it's, that's not a spiritual thing because you can pray. You can pray kneeling down. You can pray standing up. You can pray laying in your bed like King David did. So there's not one way to pray. But it's, it is a cultural thing for their community that is an outward expression of reverence to God as we talk to him. So uh, so that was interesting. And I, I, I respected that. Uh, so those were... Oh, and the last one that hit me big time was, you know how here in America we say, when did you get saved? Or, or when did you become a Christian? Or when did you believe? Uh, they don't they don't understand those phrases. They don't use those phrases. It's It's one phrase. I repented when I was 14. I repented when I was 27. I repented when I was 62. That's that's what there's that's their testimony. I repented. And I said, "Did you know? Did you guys know that in America for like the last 40 years we've had a doctrine circulating that's very influential in evangelical Christian circles where we are told that when you talk to an unbeliever and share the gospel, the one thing you don't do is you don't ask them to repent." They they were shocked and aghast by that. They thought that was blasphemous. They thought that was an absolute distortion of the gospel. Because that's that's how they got saved. When did you become a Christian? Oh, you mean I, I repented when I was 17. And actually, my translator, who was 24, he just kept saying that. I was. I, when did you get saved, Nick? Well, I was. I repented when I was 14. I don't know what you're talking about, but I repented when I was 14. Um, so that stood out to me as well. And that also is just a great testimony. Um, and then... Finally, oh, so, so that was the city impression of it in the secular city, then the impression of the church, and then there was the impression of just Ukraine in general across the board, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, and that was that how many Ukrainians want to, to be Americanized. That, that stood out from walking down the streets and all these, the t-shirts and everything that they're wearing from sportswear to Giants shirts to their favorite sports team or, uh, their favorite clothing line wear, uh, you know, you just saw America wannabes everywhere from what they were wearing to even a lot of their stores and shops uh, and groceries and everything. They just aspired. Uh, McDonald's is there and McDonald's is ma- a major deal uh, in Ukraine. Starbucks is not there yet, but they've got coffee shops now for the first time where the logo has obviously been stolen from Starbucks. <laughs> And the the vente and the this and the that and Russian has been stolen from Starbucks, um, but all this all these America wannabes and, it, and it's an idealistic version of what America is because you're you're looking at it and you hear them talking it's like dude you don't know America it is not that good I don't think you want to be America necessarily and this really hit home to me when we had church on a Sunday and then they have a fellowship meal get that what a concept they have a fellowship meal every week after church. And the way they do it is they go to the pastor's house. Sorry, Debbie. They go to the pastor's house and the pastor and his wife supply the food for everybody. 
Sorry, Debbie. And actually, I shouldn't be giving you ideas. Um, but once a, yeah, once a month, they give the pastor's wife a break and they go to somebody else's house. I thought, oh, how generous. So anyway, you got 30 to 40 to 50 people converging on the pastor's house, which is actually in this very small apartment building. And so it's very tight and cramped and cozy and everybody loves each other. And so you don't mind touching and hugging and sitting on each other's laps at the fellowship meal. So at the fellowship meal after church, um, and they meet, we pray, we eat, and the food is just amazing because there's so much of it and a, a variety of it. And I can't pronounce any of it, but I ate it anyway. And then I ended up in a room with a bunch of little kids, which is kind of surprising. I ended up with all the kids. And we were having fun and playing games and hanging out and being silly and playing on the Nerf hoop and whatever. And they don't speak a stitch of English except Shaquille O'Neal. He number one. No, Kobe Bryant, number one. I mean, that was the only English they spoke the entire time. These kids. And they're, they're wearing all these NBA jerseys. And so that I could relate to. So that was the only Russian I could speak with. Shaquille O'Neal. Kobe Bryant. Tim Duncan. Yeah, Tim Duncan, number one. No, they're telling me. So that was uh, just this, yeah, wanting to be Americanized. So very interesting. Um, and let me just give you a... a a brief summary of other highlights of the trip. Um, it was, like I said, so if you looked on your map, all those colored countries together make up the Soviet Union, which was the communistic regime run by the headquarters of Moscow for 70 years. It was an atheistic country. It was a secular country. It was a humanistic country. Christianity was against the law. The Bible was banned, uh, starting with Stalin right after Lenin in the 1920s. Uh, for three decades, he murdered and slaughtered millions of people, millions of his own people, uh, and including believers that were there. Tried to wipe out and eradicate Christianity. That was the one thing that he had in common with Adolf Hitler. He was a brutal, murderous thug. Uh, and that carried on up all the way up until 1991, when finally the communistic empire of the Soviet Union, the USSR, collapsed and imploded from within, and the 15 countries that composed the Soviet Union, for the most part, all sought independence. And in 1991, Ukraine sought its own independence from the Soviet Union, from the headquarters of Russia, and became its own entity and had all these liberties and freedoms since then. But early in the 1990s, they had a massive uh, economic depression to the point for the first five to eight years in the 1990s, you couldn't really buy food hardly anywhere. My friend who was my roommate and my translator, a 24-year-old named Nick, who was a native of Ukraine, he said that he remembered when he was little in the early 1990s, uh, his mom would take him to the store and it would usually be only on weekends, Saturday and Sunday, because you could only go shopping on Saturday and Sunday in the mornings. That's the only time the supermarket was open and you had to buy all your food for the week. He, he just remembers nothing but canned seaweed. That was it. And maybe some day-old moldy bread if you were lucky. And these huge, massive lines. Uh, and it was horrible, he said and paying outrageous prices. So that went on for five to eight years. And then all of a sudden, uh, things turned around in the economy. And now they're, they're doing pretty well as the free market has invaded Ukraine and has actually blessed them as a country. And so now you go into the supermarkets there. They have more food in their supermarkets than we do at any of our supermarkets. It was amazing. Uh, the candy aisle, everything, just you name it, it was loaded. The meats and the fresh meats, it was uh, absolutely amazing. And he said this was just unthinkable uh, you know, 20 years ago. So it has really turned around, and that's what the free market has done, and freedom has brought at least to their area in the city of Kiev. So that's a good thing. Um, so that was huge. Um, 
Uh, like I said, you know, you can only shop on Saturday and Sunday mornings early on, but now they're doing much better. Also, prior to 1991, you didn't have any private property. And so the government built all these massive apartment buildings. They made them very small. And if and they told you where you could live and you couldn't own anything, you couldn't own a car unless you had a, a permission by the government. And it was a cheesy, cheap, small car. Uh, and most people didn't weren't allowed to own a car and you didn't own your own place to live. You were allowed to live in a government apartment building and those apartment buildings still exist to this day. So after 1991, then the freedom came about so that you could actually, if you had enough money, and this, this is very difficult, most people don't have enough money, to buy one of these apartment units in this old dilapidated disgusting apartment building and call it your own. And that's your palace and that's your, what, but that's your home. So there are a few people who have been able to actually purchase those. So very limited in terms of ownership, private property, material things, and that's why in many respects they're a very content people because in their mind, boy, they've got a lot more than they did, you know, 20 years ago. So I was blessed uh, being reminded, man, the freedom I have here in America, the, the materialism uh, that are blessed things that God has allowed us to have that are good. Uh, we are rich in abundance, and, and this is the goodness of God, the grace of God, free, freedom and liberty that comes from God. The things that you can't have with oppression and really slavery. Uh, so that was a great reminder. The, and, and as we drove around all over the city, the driving was just madness. It was crazy. We almost died 50 zillion times. I was surprised that we didn't because people are driving all over the place. Um, the city now theoretically is kind of a republic slash democracy slash constitutional on, in print. But realistically, the country is actually what I'm told is run by the Russian mafia. And these are not Italian dudes. These are white Russian guys. And nobody knows where they are or ever sees them, but they, they run the show uh, behind the scenes. So I was told. Um, and if you just mind your business, they, apparently they just leave you alone. Uh, and there was no Mexican restaurants. <laughs> if you like Mexican food, I thought that was a bummer. There, there was no... Uh, Reese's Pieces. There were no peanut butter cups. There were no butter fingers. There was no good peanut butter anywhere. So they literally have to pay to ship good Skippy peanut butter in from cor the corners of the earth because uh, they don't have any. It was, just, uh, it was just interesting of some things they didn't have. I was able to interact with three missionary families that were from America. These were three buddies of mine. We went to seminary together. And they got the call 19 years ago, 20 years ago in seminary where the, the vision was laid out for, by one of our administrators at the Master's College who spoke Russian before he became a Christian and then he became a Christian and then he wanted to go into Christian ministry and then he ended up at the Master's College and he was the provost of the Master's College and the seminary and he had a heart for missions and he had been going on short-term mission trips around the world and he was able to get his foot in the door over in Ukraine and in Moscow and Russia in the early 1990s and late 80s and God put it on his heart that he wanted to start a seminary and a church in Moscow and in Ukraine and Kiev. And he came back to seminary when I was in seminary. Actually, he came back when I was a senior at the Master's College as the provost of the Master's College. And he said he just got back from Russia and Kiev. And uh, he just made this passionate plea that we need to, God needs to raise up from the Master's College and from our community people to go across the world into Moscow, into Ukraine and plant churches and minister to the saints there. And uh, that was a vision that he had. And he challenged every Christian there at the Master's College. And I will never forget it. There were 900 of us. He said, if you are a Christian, you need to at one point in your life, you need to go on a short-term mission somewhere around the world. Even if it's just for 10 days, it'll change your life. Because what it'll do, it'll, it'll at least give you a new perspective. It'll, it'll change your perspective. And many times, if you've been on a short-term missions trip somewhere, uh, 
going on that trip usually has more of an impact on you than you have on those people, many times. And in a lot of respects, that was true for me. So I will never forget, that was like 22 years ago. Bob Provost was his name. He said that. At some point in your life, you need to go on a short-term mission trip. And I thought, I do. But it's, here it's been 23 years later where I finally got to do it, so I was blessed. So I would challenge you as well. If you are a Christian, and if you have never been on a short-term mission trip, uh, you've got to raise your hand right now. You don't need to be embarrassed. Okay, put your hand down. So we are going to pray for you that, number one, God puts that desire in your heart, and then, number two, that he provides the opportunity. You can't force it. It has to be of God. It has to be in his timing. It has to be of his leading to do it, and God will honor that. And it, it will change your life because it will change your perspective uh, about the world and, and how big God is and how true the Bible is and, and how true and effective the church of Jesus Christ is. So with that, let me just go through some slides here in a flurry of a fashion, now that I've laid a little foundation and groundwork. And if we could hit the lights, actually, and see if this is going to work. Are we ready to roll? And am I pushing the right button? Yeah, we're, I'm going to move quickly. So anyway, uh, that is a picture. That's just a typical scene in Kiev. That was uh, inner city. That building actually was kind of nice, which was not typical. And the guy in the middle there, that's a, a pastor friend that I got to meet. He, so I had 11 guys in my apologetics class. I get off the airplane. Uh, my buddy's picking me up from the airport. And immediately he introduces me to this guy right here who stands about six foot three. And he says, this is Martin. He's a pastor from Switzerland. He flew here to take your class. I'm like, wow, thanks for the pressure. He flew here from Switzerland to take my... Man, I better study and have something to say tomorrow when class starts. So that was pretty intimidating. He was a great guy. His name was Martin. That was my translator. His name is Nick, 24 years old. He was born and raised in Kiev. That is Kobe Bryant in the video. That is his favorite player. I can't stand the Lakers. But anyway, that was Nick's favorite player. And that's how they watch television. They have that thing and they just project, project it on the wall. That's the way they do television. And all the sports they can't watch. They only want to watch, for the most part, American sports, at least these guys. And they, they never watch anything live because they have to watch it like the day after. And they get it through the Internet and project it up on the wall. And, and So we're sitting around watching uh, the Lakers go on a rampage. Nick, 24 years old, he was my translator uh, and my servant the whole time. He was phenomenal. He was amazing. Uh, he has been... He got... He, he repented when he was 14, two years later. Oh, and then he was immediately taken in by the local pastor, my friend Greg White and his family. They had not literally adopted him, but kind of adopted him, uh, took him in as a Christian family, trained him in scripture, Christian life, Christian family living. Uh, two years later after he repented and got saved at age 16, he began to work formally for the seminary as a translator. Amazing, 16 years of age. If you met Nick, now he's 24 years old, so he's been doing it for eight years. He was phenomenal, didn't miss a beat. Uh, and him and I, we worked well together as a team. I'd say a sentence and boom, he'd go right afterwards. And so after day one, it was like I didn't even realize there was a translator. It went so smoothly. But that was Nick. And if you met Nick today, you wouldn't even uh, sense or recognize any kind of an accent. He sounds like an American. And the reason or the secret was he said that um, his dad died early when his dad was 44. And his dad probably, they think, got infected by radiation from Chernobyl that happened in the 80s. So that left him and his mom. His mom had to work to make a living, which meant Nick, as an only child, was left home frequently with the television that they had access to with nothing but American television. And thanks to uh, the Lucy show 
and the Flintstones and Bugs Bunny and American commercials, he learned the English language from the time he was two years old. All the nuances, and even when American jokes and everything, it was absolutely amazing. And so cartoons and television and commercials are very... God can use those, I'm told. <laughs> Parents, so let your children watch as much TV as possible. Because um, it worked for Nick. And so people were just amazed at Nick. So he's fluent in his native language, well, actually Russian and Ukrainian, but also in, um, not just English, Americanized, botched English. He's a professional. Uh, and yet he's been doing this for eight years and he's had some of the greatest Bible teachers in the world that he has translated for and studied under. So translating for me was no problem. He is theologically astute beyond his years. It was absolutely amazing. He's working on his master's degree at the master's college in a summer program right now in biblical studies. He is single, ladies. Um, <laughs> he's about 6'2". He can hoop it up. He's a great athlete, soccer player. I mean, And he was just a renaissance guy. There was like nothing Nick could not do. And he was an amazing servant, making me breakfast, making me lunch, opening my door, closing my door every step of the way, because uh, that was apparently on his job description, I was told. Uh, so Nick was absolutely amazing, blessed by him. Um, and then the guy on the right is Greg White. We went to seminary together at the Master Seminary for three years. And the guy on, on, sorry, the guy on the right is Brian Kinzel. The guy on the left is Greg White. Uh, Greg White oversees the MDiv program and now the THM program at their seminary and on the right is Brian Kinzel who's one of the professors all of us went to the master seminary together and graduated together in 1992 all three of us uh, heard the message from in chapel in 1991 from Bob Provost of the master's college who just got back from Ukraine and Moscow when the iron curtain came down and had inroads uh, to get the gospel into the Ukraine and into Moscow and Bob Provost preached a message to seminary students, and we were all in attendance, and he made this passionate plea. God needs to raise up some of you men to be missionaries, to go to Ukraine, to go to Moscow, to live and be missionaries there, plant churches, and raise up a seminary and train men of God to be pastors in native Russia and also native Ukraine. Well, three, four of the guys in the seminary audience uh, heeded the call. When that message was given, and a similar one by John MacArthur at Grace Community Church at the same time, John MacArthur uh, had Missions Sunday and had Bob Provost talk. And then John got up and he gave an altar call. Maybe the only altar call Johnny Mac has given in 40 years at Grace Community Church. And the altar call was, you've heard the plea, God needs or God wants to use saints here to go to the other side of the world in fulfilling the Great Commission. And if you believe that you have that desire and God is calling you to do that, even if you're not sure, come forward and we will pray for you. Well, Greg White told me it was like being born again again. He felt a lightning bolt strike at his heart that day. And he came forward at uh, Grace Community Church. He came up and uh, they prayed for him. And he just said, I, I think I want to go to mission someday. And this is before he'd even finished college. He didn't even know where. I think I want to go to mission someday. They prayed for him. And so five years later, he and his wife were graduating from seminary and they moved off to Moscow and learned and they were learning the Russian language. And then they ended up in Kiev to be a part of a church plant where they planted a church 10 years ago. And part of the seminary that used to meet basically in a shack with about three people. And he began to raise up men and train men. And now they have 17 Ukrainian men who finished the MDiv program who now teach at the seminary 19 years later. And Greg has been there and he's seen God take them from a shack to this amazing two-story building that 
uh, has state-of-the-art facilities for these people to go to the seminary, including dorm rooms. It was just amazing. And it's in this neighborhood that's dilapidated and falling apart. It's just a testimony of God's greatness that they got uh, five years ago, this new seminary facility. So that was great. So to hear him tell his story of how he was called to be a missionary it was a good reminder for me that getting called to go across the world is not for everybody. It is a very specific calling because Brian Kinzel had the same thing happen to him. And the other guy we're going to see, uh, Bruce Alward was the third seminary guy who ended up going with these guys. And they were all three there. I got to spend time with all of them. And they all had a similar testimony. Uh, we heard the call, the Spirit of God supernaturally just somehow prompted them and enlightened them and convicted them, you must go. And before all three of them went, they were all married. And they laid it out to their wife. We're not going anywhere unless you are unless you have the call of God as well on your life. And all three wives at different times sensed that calling. So it was amazing. So they so Greg's so I stayed with Greg a couple of nights and then in the dorm uh, the rest of the time. And Greg has uh, three wonderful children, a daughter that's at the Master's College now. Her name is Carissa. I love that name. And uh, then two boys. Uh, the, and I stayed in their room. Really neat guys, and they're teenagers. And you know they live in this little shack of an apartment, but that's home. That's where they've been for 19 years or as long as they've been alive. That's all they know. And so that they are now in high school, 10th grade and 11th grade. And I asked him, so Joseph, James, what do you want to do? Well, they want to go to college somewhere. And then after college, uh, one of them wants to, they want to come back. I want to come back and uh, be a part of the ministry in Rome. I'd like to go to Rome. And the other one is maybe, maybe I'd like to come back to Kiev and live here uh, and be a part of it. It's just amazing uh, what God has done. So Wonderful brothers. I hadn't seen Brian in 19 years since graduation from seminary. He looks the same. He looks younger now than he did then. I told him that. That's disgusting. You look younger now than you did 20 years ago. And then Greg looks just the same, and they all said, I'm losing my hair. So anyway, uh, so this was the chapel that they have. I was about to speak in the chapel. And so there's the man listening to the word as I was preaching. There's my translator, Nick. I'd say a sentence, and he would say a sentence. And, you know, it was it was natural because it's like you're getting interrupted when you're saying something. And when you have four kids, that happens all the time. So I was prepared very well for this. Preaching the word. And then this was the actual classroom. Sorry about the dark pictures. There's the brothers, 11 of them, as we were going through apologetics. And then uh, right to the right, that's where Nick, the translator, would sit. I mean, he had to sit there for hours on end, so it was tiring to stand up like this. So he has figured out a system where over there, across from the room, I say it, he does it, and they've gotten used to it. And there's Nick from uh, my perspective. And he was amazing because uh, I could say he wasn't prepared. He didn't have notes. He didn't know necessarily what I was going to say, but he had his computer, and he had a lot of resources online so that if I said, uh, okay, now turn to Genesis 6, then he electronically could go immediately to his uh, Russian version of Genesis 6 in, in an instant and follow along with me word for word. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Nick was phenomenal. And that was apologetics. That was the pastor from Switzerland who came just to take this class. Actually, what he did, he studied for two years uh, at the Master's Seminary and did. And he's got six children. And uh, they came there for two years and had to move back and they didn't finish one class and it was apologetics. And they let him leave anyway. And they said, you've got to take apologetics somewhere at some time. Two years later, this was provided 500 miles away, which is much closer for him and very convenient. That's why he was there. And he, he was a, we were so like-minded it was uncanny in every conceivable manner. So we were highly blessed. And we, he also stayed in the same dorm with me. So we, there's our dorm room. That was my dorm room. And there's, uh, we're having dinner. Uh, Greg White's wife cooked for us. She's a, a phenomenal cook. Her name is Hushan. 
Oh, that's Nick, sorry. The wrong direction. There was my dorm or my bed. This was the facility. It's uh, There's three sections. So there's one, there's the middle, and there's the third end. And then, so you can see uh, that it's quite the facility from what it's gone to. And they've got this court here for volleyball and basketball. And apparently the rim is smaller there in Ukraine, so I couldn't hit a, a shot. I was a brick the whole time. Uh, as we were out there playing, it's very embarrassing. And I'm trying to teach the pastor from Switzerland how to play basketball. He does football, which I guess is like soccer or something. What's basketball? So we're trying to figure that out. Uh, you can't see it very good here, but this is uh, as you walk inside the seminary, and it's got pictures of the staff. My three buddies there. Oops, sorry about the sideways picture again. That's the front of the seminary. As you walk in, that man on the wall started the seminary with Bob Provost 20-some-odd years ago. That man's dad was sent to the gulag under the Soviet Union, almost killed at gunpoint. The grace of God intervened at the last minute. He was allowed to go free because he was a Christian because the guard who was supposed to shoot him and arrest him had a grandma who was a Christian. God intervened, let him go. He had a son. That's the son. That son started the seminary. In these pictures, you can't see. This is when the seminary started 20 years ago. There's a picture of Dick Mayhew from the Master Seminary there at the opening of the seminary. The next picture, oh, this was Chernobyl Museum. It's very sad and depressing of the nuclear facility meltdown in the 1980s uh, that affected a large population up there in that area. And to this day, they have this uh, massive area, that uh, Chernobyl, which is 300 miles north of Kiev, that is called the Forbidden Zone. And to this day, no one can go in there. We're talking miles and miles and miles and miles of devastation. And they said it's going to be that way for the next hundred years. And right now they say in Japan, they think Japan's has the potential of being worse than Chernobyl, if you can imagine that. Uh, this was the Christian school, uh, uh, Kiev Christian Academy. They rent this facility and share it with somebody else. It was just old and dumpy. There's the bathroom, a squatty potty. I wasn't going to use that. But anyway, that's the bathroom at the Christian school. I didn't even know what to do. There's the bathroom. It's like, well, what, what do I do? There was this, that was the sink in the Christian school. Notice the water faucet. There isn't one. What good is the sink? Anyway, I couldn't figure that out either. They did have a gym. So we played some hoops. The backboard, it was not official size. The rim was terrible. I couldn't hit a shot. There's the pastor from Switzerland who didn't know how to play basketball. Uh, there we got to spend a day on a Saturday to just uh, play some hoops. So there's Greg White in the middle, my buddy, running the show. And then his sons are on the left and the right, James and Joseph. One of them wants to play in the NBA when he grows up, he said. And there's a close-up, and we just had a fun time. This is an apartment building of where Greg White lives. So he was actually able to buy one of these units, and he owns it, and they fixed it up a little bit to the best of your ability. But it was, again, just old and disgusting on the outside. There's the outside of it, kind of dreary, and as you walk in, it's scary, and it goes up these stairs, the corridor with no lights and electricity, and it's dark and gloomy and scary. Uh, and there's the stairs going up there, and but inside they made it homey. And there's the brothers. Notice Shaquille O'Neal all over the place. Oh, Star Wars Legos, top shelf. They have those. It kind of looks like my son's room, actually. There's Fushan. She's married to. Uh, she is Japanese. She is married to Greg, sweet lady, and she wanted me to take a picture because that's her 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 dishwasher's right there. Her two hands. And uh, she doesn't mind. She she is a missionary's wife, man. She loves it. And there's her kitchen. Her kitchen is huge, she thinks. And she's not, it looks like she's making a pizza, but I don't know what she's doing. There's, <laughs> very nice. 
Uh, Ukraine, you're not supposed to smile if you're a real Russian Ukrainian dude. Uh, Ukraine, Ukraine is a different country than Russia, but they're next to each other. But one in every six people in Ukraine is Russian. And the most widely spoken language is Russian. And the, their Bible is in Russian. Again, it's a carryover from Soviet Union days when the, the state language was Russian. Anyway, this was an official, authentic hat that I bought as a souvenir there at a great price. And it's made out of real rabbit skin. And they are warm. Uh, this was the church building. They, they've been renting this library, a room in the library for 10 years at the public library. And it's small, it is crowded, and they just can't, they don't have enough money to get anything else. They've been there for 10 years, and they're, they're probably not going to grow at that rate. Uh, so they're praying for that God would give them their own facility. There's the stairs going up to the library to church on a Sunday. Just thought, you know, that was pretty typical. Trash all over the place, cracked sidewalk. Uh, and then there's one view from the porch and another view from the porch. And then there's the worship service. And there's a guy up there and he's got an electric uh, keyboard and singing songs in Russian. But they're familiar hymns that we would know right out of our hymnal. American hymns uh, translated in Russian. They're singing. The kids would sing. Uh, there's Greg. He's praying. And then I got up to preach. So I preached the, the message in preparation. I didn't know this, but in preparation, as I was coming, Nick, my translator, the 24-year-old genius, got on the GBF website, unbeknownst to me, and listened to dozens and dozens and dozens of my sermons and my preaching to learn my style, my nuances, my vocabulary, my theology. It was absolutely amazing. He went through almost the whole book of Revelation. When I got there, he said, you're preaching on Sunday. I said, I am. He said, yeah. I go, okay, yeah, I knew that was probably coming. He goes, do you know what you're going to preach on? I said, no, I've been praying through it. He goes, well, I know what you should preach on. What's that? You should preach on the whole book of Revelation. I said, are you serious? I just spent two years preaching on Revelation at my church. No, you should do it all in one day. <laughs> really? Yeah, call it the jet tour of Revelation. I was like, wow, you're crazy. You're kidding me. Because I have to say a sentence, you say a sentence, so I've only got like 20 minutes instead of 50. He goes, that's all right. I talk fast too. So two days later, I was going to do my own sermon, and then I was just convicted Saturday night, and I thought, I'm going to do the jet tour of Revelation. Take that, Nick my translator, and we did. So I actually got through all, I referred to every chapter, all 22 chapters in Revelation and did it in 50 minutes or less, half of it translated by that guy. It was amazing. And they were blessed by it. And I was thinking, why did I waste two years at my church? I could have done this. But anyway, I could do like a book of the Bible every week. We'd be done with the Bible in 66 weeks. We don't need to go to church anymore. But anyway, so that was church. They got about 35 people. And then we had to set up and push the desk back when we we're done. Notice it looks like a library because it is. Uh, and there's people filling uh, shipping afterwards. They got one hour. That was chapel. That was Martin, my friend, preaching in the seminary chapel. That was the classroom. Again, just a day uh, teaching, preaching through apologetics. Uh, there's my class. Great guys. Wonderful. Uh, blessed brothers in the Lord. That was towards the last day of class. There was Greg White. He is the on the left. He's my buddy. He uh, coached the high school team to get free. Uh, he didn't have to pay any tuition if he was the coach, so he did it for free. So that's his boys, JV team. That's the varsity team. Uh, the guy on the right is a missionary from America who is the administrator and coach of that team. And they're looking for Americans to come over and minister at their Christian school to be English teachers, math teachers, anything as a missionary one year at a time. If you're interested, we'll talk more about that. There's the front of the building of the school in this old building. This was the museum that we went to, the World War II Museum. This is a massive statue taller than the uh, Empire, I mean the uh, Statue of Liberty. It's all made out of titanium that was left over from World War II. And in the early 1980s, the Soviet Union built this massive 
statement and testimony to themselves called the World War II Museum, where they put themselves gloriously on display of how they overcame uh, the Nazis and whatever else. It was an amazing museum, but it was all a testimony to their greatness as the Soviet Russian Empire. So everything in it is huge and massive. And Russia and the Russians pride themselves on everything being big and large and oversized because they say and they boast that even to this day they have the biggest ships, the biggest airplanes, the biggest buildings, and the biggest microchips. <laughs> that's what I was told. Uh, so that's a typical fancy Russian uh, Orthodox church in the background. They are everywhere. Uh, this was part of the museum. These are actual World War II planes. Well, Martin, Pastor Martin from Switzerland, he, just, he wanted to be a pilot growing up, but he was too tall, so he got disqualified early on. Uh, so he was just salivating over these airplanes. So we, that's why we stopped, because to pacify him. And he actually, I want to go, I want to go in, I want to go in. Can I get in an airplane? Can I get in an airplane? It's like, okay, well, let's ask and find out. So, uh, not only did we get to, so there's Martin T. He wanted just pictures galore to show his kids. His, and he actually got in an airplane. There it was. He was all, that made his day. Not only that, they let us, uh, I had to sit as his co-pilot, and then we were allowed to actually shoot and fight the, uh, oops, where is it? Uh, the Nazis. There they are. See, they're coming head on. And we, we took them out. That was very exciting. It was very frightening, but uh, Martin was a good shot. So here's their statues. Typical Russian oversized glorification of self in front of the museum. That was not a preacher, but I was acting like one. Uh, and there's the Iron Maiden. They call it the Iron Maiden. As you drive by, you can see it from anywhere in the city. Uh, that was a Nazi motorcycle from World War II that they recovered. More Nazi uh, warfare. That is a map of you, uh, Kiev, and to the right, I'm pointing to where the seminary is, which is outside of Kiev in a city called Irpin. Uh, that's a mine that would go in the water and blow up Nazi ships, they would say, a machine gun. And then this was concentration camp stuff, actual uh, prisoner clothing that was taken. Uh, that right there that you see, it was disgusting. It was a glove that was made out of skin from Jews who were killed, and their skin was taken to make uh, clothing from it, and that's a glove that uh, Nazis would wear, and then more stuff. This was actually a picture in of the city of Kiev as uh, the Ukrainians are at war with the Nazis at the Battle of the Dnieper River, which flows right through Kiev. And uh, the, I had Nick stand there because he was a native Ukrainian and a native from Kiev, and this was World War II. Uh, Nazi stuff and paraphernalia. This uh, actually is, is the last room in the World War II Museum. It was called the Celebration Room. These are vodka cups, and that's how you celebrate. Over there, you drink lots of vodka together. So there's the vodka room with all the vodka celebrating their victory over World War II. That was a picture over the Nipper River where uh, Hitler and his Blitzkrieg came across the river to attack the city. Kiev in the background. There is the Iron Maiden. That was the way of getting around for the most part with these buses, privately owned buses. This was the metro, the underground subway system that we went on to check out. Uh, there's your, another one. This is where, that's Bruce, uh, the other third seminary student who works at the seminary there that came there 19 years ago and has raised three children there in Kiev. Great guy. And that's where his wife shops. It's right next to their apartment, literally. That's their apartment. They live on the eighth floor, I think. That's the front of his apartment, like the graffiti. Um, and that was the elevator, very tight, scary, dark. That's outside of his window. That's the neighborhood, not very flattering. There is Shelby. She was a sweetheart, 10 years old. She was very photogenic and wanted me to take a bunch of pictures with her and her cat. There's where the three kids sleep in that room. They gutted the whole place, and it was really actually nice. Wallpaper and everything. I mean, it's just beautiful. There's the three kids. They are awesome. 
They love God. They love the church. They like being missionaries and don't know what they want to do. Tall guy, Stephen, absolute genius. There was uh, Bruce's wife. Her name was Amy, sweetheart. We were sitting down for dinner. She made this killer meal. And at the meal, I said, so Amy, how long did it take you to get used to Kiev? And she said, hmm, long pause. Well, I think I got assimilated after two years. And she'd say, well, honey, wasn't it like about 10 or 12 years? That was her honest answer. I got used to this place after 10 or 12 years in terms of the, the lifestyle. She's fine now. Uh, but now it's been almost 20 years. Bruce, Greg, and uh, Brian, they think their job is almost done. They have worked themselves out of a job. They've raised up a seminary. They've raised up men to teach it. They've raised up men through the, TH, the MDiv and THM program. And now they almost don't have a job anymore. And all three families are praying, God, where will you have us go next? And all the wives are saying, please, not another foreign country where I have to learn another language. Maybe God will send them back home. Who knows? There's Shelby, beautiful apartment that uh, they decked out, ripped out a wall, but that's the outside of it. And there was the tight elevator, and everybody's just as friendly because you're squished, and you have to like each other on the elevator. And that was the metro as we're going through the city. It was very fast. This is as I was leaving. There's Nick, my translator, in the pink, Greg White, my host, and uh, Martin, the Swiss pastor. And it says, Erpine Biblical Seminary, and the first letter and the last word there, the C is actually pronounced as an S, seminary, I mean, it almost looks like it, the P is an R, there it is, looks just like seminary, doesn't it? Um, Erpine Biblical Seminary, love the name. There's Nick, last day of class, uh, he wanted to videotape the last day of class because one of the guys couldn't be there, and he forgot his camera, so he took his phone that apparently has a camera on it, and he scotch taped it to the tripod. It worked, but I said, Nick, I have got to get a picture of this. This is pathetic. <laughs> he was proud of it. It worked. That, Yakoba, the book of James. That's a Johnny Mac uh, commentary translated from Russian. So Johnny Mac's got his uh, commentaries in their language, which they absolutely appreciate and love. And they have this cool library loaded from the, the, the gifts and the grace of saints in America. Many from the Master's uh, College Seminary and Grace Community Church. Russian language on the left, English language on the right. And they even have a librarian every single day to help you. And if you speak English, she can't help you. <laughs> and that was their bookstore. And at the last day of class, at the end of the class, Vitale was his name. He was kind of the spokesman of the class. He was the only Calvinist of the 11 students. Uh, so he was the only one that I didn't offense, offend his sensibilities. But he kept telling me every time I offended all of them by my Calvinistic theology because they're all Arminian when they start the seminary, and hopefully they're Calvinist when they are done. That's what I was told. Uh, but anyway, they all appreciated, and that was a gift to me, and he spoke for 15 minutes on behalf of them, appreciating me coming and bringing the Word of God to them. So it was very humbling. Vitale. And that is the end. So thank you so much for allowing me... to share what God is doing in one other part of the world. And we'll follow up more with uh, missions in a couple of weeks, and we need to go to lunch. So let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we do thank you for this day, the Lord's Day, and a time of worship. Thank you for um, the opportunity to worship you through song, through prayer, fellowship of the saints. And uh, also your goodness in answering prayer for me, um, the many saints, I'm thankful that they lifted up this trip that you blessed in so many ways. And uh, we just pray that you receive all the glory for it. And uh, we just commit the rest of our day to you in Christ's name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.